evening. Normally, whenever I get up to speak, there's like a faint waft of teenagers coming towards me. So this is very, um, this is lovely. You smell great. <laughs> um, this evening, we are going to be reading a bit from Nehemiah. So if you want to check it out, um, it's chapter one. You can get it on your phones or in the Bibles. Um, I think it might be on the screens. Yeah, great. So chapter one, Nehemiah says this. The words of Nehemiah, son of um, Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I, Nehemiah, was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. (laughs) We random last sentence there. Um, So uh, we're going to take a little bit of a bigger look at Nehemiah's story um, a little bit later on. But this evening, as Gary said, we are thinking a little bit more about the power of justice. And I suppose, in short, um, the thing that has kept coming back to me over and over again as I've been thinking about this night and preparing the talk, um, it's something really simple. (laughs) So if you're looking for like Einstein theory here, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. It's something very simple. What I've been thinking about is this. To pursue justice is to pursue God. And to catch a glimpse of justice is to catch a glimpse of the kingdom. To pursue justice is to pursue God. And to catch a glimpse of justice is to catch a glimpse of the kingdom. We're going to think about that a little bit more um, in the next sort of half an hour or so. But I was uh, laughing to myself thinking about all the different sort of ways that we um, experience justice in like our every week. Because it looks really different in lots of different points throughout our week. 
Um, and I was thinking about, you know, whenever you're sort of driving home and um, there's someone behind you and they're right up your bumper and um, they're kind of just hassling you and they're like swerving out behind, trying to get past you. They're just really annoying you. And then all of a sudden you're almost home. They get the chance to like speed out way past you. But just as they speed out past you, you see the speed camera going and all of a sudden you think, yes, justice. <laughs> or maybe you're up on the North Coast for the day and... Um, you're queuing for your dinner at the Remore, and um, you've been queuing for like an hour, and you're hungry, everyone with you is hungry, you just want your dinner, and you're just coming up to the desk, you're about to get your table, and then all of a sudden, 20 people come and join the person who is in the queue in front of you, and you think, oh my goodness, it's going to be forever before I get my dinner, this is rubbish, but the person at the desk saw what just happened, and she says, oh, actually, you can't really do that. You guys are going to have to go to the back of the queue. And you think, yes, justice. (laughs) Um, And maybe it's something trivial like that, or maybe it's like you're watching the news and someone's done something wrong and they get taken to court. And in the news, it's reported this person got 10 years. They're in jail um, for the thing they did wrong. And that picture of our justice system um, in the UK. Or maybe it's something like um, you buy... A uh, pair of toms or an outside-in jumper or something. And when it arrives at your door, you open it up and there's a little card inside that says a little, a little bit about how we can help people who are homeless um, in Northern Ireland or how we can help share with people who are in need around the world. It's a little bit of social justice. Throughout our week, we experience that idea of justice, different expressions of justice in loads of different ways or those moments where we feel like there's been justice and I suppose justice really is, justice is just about fairness, isn't it? It's about what's right. Um, and so in all those cases, whether trivial or not, we can see some sort of elements of justice. The right thing happened as a consequence of an action. And I suppose the interesting thing is that in different scenarios in our culture, justice is actually quite subjective, isn't it? What one person deems as right is increasingly becoming debatable. Um, And increasingly justice, the idea of justice, actually serves the individual. I think about my rights as a woman, as my rights as uh, a certain pay grade that I have, what my entitlements are, what's fair for me or what's not fair for me personally. I suppose often whenever justice comes up in our regular, everyday conversations, it, it does have that kind of more general focus um, on, um, on ourselves, that individual focus. And I guess it's interesting then to consider um, a biblical version of justice, um, especially as our culture perhaps moves further and further towards like a self-determined definition of what right and fair is. I um, was thinking then a little bit more about what does justice actually look like in the Bible, and there's a few things that I suppose jumped out to me um, that I thought I'd share with you. The first one being that justice in the Bible is a description of God's character. Um, What we see in the Bible over and over again is God being described as a God of justice. A couple of examples, Isaiah 61 verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. 
And there's so many more. If you are doing CBE or if you're in a different group that does um, reading through the Bible, um, I'm sure you'll be the same. I'm always surprised just how often God's character is described as just and fair and just how much justice is a key theme that runs through the whole Bible and comes up over and over again. Whether it's God's people um, experiencing justice being punished from how they strayed from God's laws or God's people being supported and upheld in times of need. Whether it's New Testament Jesus teaching um, how to treat one another, God's continually described as his character um, as being a God of justice. Like I said before, justice is, it's all about like right and fair. And um, I guess when we look in the Bible, it's God that sets that standard, isn't it? And that's obviously historically where we've got like our laws and our morals and stuff for for just normal life god is a god of justice because he's the one that sets the agenda for justice he is the one that um, determines what is right and what is wrong and he's the one who sets like what's fair he defines justice and so I guess when we read the bible and there are stories or there's teaching about how we can live um, as christians um, that's what we take as fair and right, the right way to live, what we see in the Bible. Um, when Jesus responds to people who are in need, that's his example of his standard for justice. Or when we read like Old Testament laws um, about how God wants his people to function together as a community, that's his standard for justice. So I guess as Christians, we're looking to um, the Bible for that biblical understanding of what is right and wrong. Because God is the one that defines justice. Justice is a description of who God is. So the second thing then is that justice um, in the Bible often refers to others. And there's an interesting contrast, I suppose, between the biblical outline of justice and the sort of justice that our culture understands. Our culture is often, like not, not always, but often is focused on on what's fair for me, what's fair for my family, what's fair for my friends. Whereas when we look at it in the Bible, um, it's often that it's often justice is talked about in the in the kind of context of wider society. Um, considering what's right and fair for another person, um, talks about justice in a way that kind of goes way beyond a personal agenda or even something that's going to have an impact on me. Um. There's a really cool example of how justice works out in the way that Old Testament communities work together, God's people, the way they would have lived. Um, And I suppose the justice that we see in the Bible is much more similar to what we would uh, categorize as sort of social justice um, that we talk about um, in our culture, like helping people who are in need, helping people who are living in poverty, people who are exploited. Um, And not even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's not even so much helping, um, like something that happens after the event, but actually it's like right from the start as being considerate or being aware of um, other people, that value base that directly impacts um, the part that they played in the social context that they were a part of, a value right there from the start. So to give you a couple of examples, there's some um, laws in 
like Exodus and Deuteronomy. Um, so there's like one for farmers where um, the law is don't plow right to the edge of your field. Um, don't go back around and lift up every little tiny last bit of the crop because actually there's other people who are in need in your community who can come along and pick up those bits for food. Or another law might be... Um, uh, there was a community responsibility to keep the temple clean because that's where God's presence was. Um, and that meant that if one person um, sinned and wasn't able to keep the temple clean, that had an impact on the whole community. So it's really important that there was a way for everybody to be able to come and worship and give sacrifices in the, in the temple to keep it clean. And so the system was set up in such a way that whether you had a lot or whether you had a little, you were able to come and participate um, if you couldn't afford to bring a goat to sacrifice, you can bring a bird. If you can't bring a bird, you can bring some grain. There's different levels depending on what you can afford. And these laws were set up in such a way that everyday life accommodated people who were in need. And everyone was kind of bought into the system to look beyond their immediate world, to allow the whole system to be fair, to be just. Or maybe if we look at it in the New Testament, from a New Testament perspective, the biblical version of justice is still looking out towards other people. When Jesus came and he had his first public appearance, um, and he outlines that mission of his to reach out to those who are vulnerable. We have all heard it before from Luke 4. It's taken from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The year of the Lord's favour there, actually referring back to some of those community laws in Deuteronomy. I guess there's just a real highlight of justice in the Bible in that sense of community, that idea that things are fair for everyone in the town, for everyone in the city, for everyone in the country. Um, it's justice that is a value that inspires action rather than like sort of an afterthought to deal with the consequences of a different action. Um, it's that, that understanding that our actions have a social implication. This kind of justice, that kind of justice that we see in the Bible is the reflection of God's character. God is a God of justice a true justice that is his design, his defining. And so when we see that biblical justice acted out, we get to see a move of God, a move towards what he has set out to be right and fair, a display of his character, of who he is. In the kingdom of God, um, there is full, true, right justice, there will be enough. The distribution is going to be fair. There won't be sickness. There won't be exploitation. There won't be sin. When we live seeking out that biblical justice, that justice for others, whether that's living justly or ethically or putting other people first, we begin to usher in the kingdom. To pursue justice is to see significant moves of God that point towards Jesus. Cool, right? And as Christians, we lead the way in our culture to point towards Jesus. And to point towards Jesus is to point towards justice. They're on the same trajectory. So biblical justice, it's that reflection of God's character. Um, it's that focus on other people. 
The other thing I was just thinking about was that justice requires action. Justice isn't just a passive thing that's happening all around us um, with everything in its rightful place. Ultimately, injustice in the world is a result of our sin. We see unfairness, we see things that aren't good and right everywhere, every day. In our sin, we have taken that focus off what God defines as just in pretty much every aspect of the culture around us. I guess when sin came into the world, it just wrecked the perfect relationships that that God had created with us, ourselves and God, with us and our own identity, with us and other people, with us and with the planet that we um, inhabit. And then that amazing moment, Jesus comes and he's all about restoring those relationships um, to bring a full restoration to our world. We've got a really big gospel, which is fun, um, to re- restore those relationships with um, us and God through our salvation, to restore that relationship of us and ourselves and our identity in Christ, our relationships with other people and how we act and how that affects other people and our relationship with how we steward creation. We've got that big picture gospel and that's what Jesus came to restore those relationships and as we are followers of Jesus, we are co-restorers in those relationships to pursue God and a right relationship with him is to pursue what is right, what is just, to pursue justice. Pursuing justice, it's an active thing. It requires a movement forward, an action, something that's not just standing still. And because justice... What is right, what is fair, isn't just the kind of default position in the world all around us. Um, And it needs us to push on. It needs us to take action. I guess you could say that pursuing justice requires leadership. Um, In order to pursue a biblical justice, there's a call on Christians to act justly despite what is going on around us, despite what our culture might say justice is. And often that's going to mean we have to lead the way. We need to lead the way through our actions as Christians. Nehemiah, he was an incredible leader who led a community into action. He was able to inspire people, to join in with the project, to get, on, get involved in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Um, and for everyone to play their part. So basically, uh, where we're at in the Bible, a small group of the Israelites had returned um, to Jerusalem 70 years earlier, and they'd rebuilt the temple, um, but they hadn't rebuilt the walls of the city. Um, And so they were still vulnerable to attack. And basically, rebuilding the walls was kind of like a sign that God had once again blessed his people, as well as the protection side of things. And when we read through the story of Nehemiah, I'd recommend reading the next couple of chapters as well, maybe when you get home. But when we read through the story of of Nehemiah, there's a number of different kind of steps or methods that are involved in Nehemiah's leadership that I think we can learn from. The first one, as he's leading the people to action, the first thing he does, like we read in chapter one, is that he prayed. As soon as Nehemiah heard that there was a problem with God's people, that they weren't protected by the walls of Jerusalem, as soon as he heard that something was not right with God's people, 
his response was to cry out to God in prayer. We're not talking like a 30 second, dear God, please help those people who are in trouble kind of prayer. We're talking, he sat down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed because he knew that the lack of repairing the wall, it showed that people's focus had slipped from God's vision, that they were being distracted from a total focus on God. And receiving that bad news was the call for Nehemiah um, to bring about change that's going to glorify God. And in this passage, as we read that first chapter, you can feel the weight of Nehemiah's intercession for the Jews. He is pouring himself into that conversation with God with an expectation that God might use him in the solution to his prayer. It's an all-in kind of prayer. There's a bit in Isaiah 58, um, it's verse 10, that talks about spending yourself on behalf of the hungry. This prayer, the prayer that Nehemiah prayers, sounds to me a little bit like Nehemiah is spending himself on behalf of the Jews. And the incredible thing is that the outcome of his prayer is huge. This isn't, it's not a prayer with like a low expectation um, of what God's power can do or the possibility of change to the situation. It's an all-in prayer. And it's the start of an incredible move of God through Nehemiah. The first thing is that he prayed. The second thing is that he was an advocate. He was intervening on behalf of other people, even when it actually wasn't that convenient for him to do so. In the next chapter, I'll give you a bit of a sneak peek. In the next chapter, Nehemiah goes back to the king to ask for permission to go to help the Jews. That wee random sentence at the end of uh, chapter one, I'm a cupbearer for the king. That was his job. And so he goes to the king to ask if he can leave for a while to rebuild the Jerusalem walls. Um, to lead that work. And when the king asks, yeah, that's fine, how can I help? Um, Nehemiah shared that he basically wanted to go to Jerusalem um, and he gave the king all these different letters that he would need um, in order to get the supplies on the way. So he got the letters signed by the king, picked up all the supplies in the journey, arrives in Jerusalem, and he's ready and equipped for the work. In this moment, Nehemiah is advocating. He's speaking up on behalf of the needs of the Jews. And he's asking the king to use his power to be able to help in the situation. Nehemiah is an advocate in this scenario. And even in chapter one, when we think back to that intercessory prayer that Nehemiah prayers, uh, Nehemiah prays, um, praying on behalf of the Jews. He's advocating on their behalf to God. His approach is to use what he has, his voice, his position, his job, to advocate, to speak up on behalf of the Jews. So he prays, he's an advocate, and then he sees opportunities. To rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, it took loads of different types of people doing loads of different types of jobs in order to rebuild the wall. It required someone to be able to see what the opportunities were. What is it that is required? Where is there a space that somebody needs to work in? And then it required lots of individuals taking on those specific roles in order to work together to build the full wall. Nehemiah knew what his role was in inspiring the people to work together. 
right from the start when he inspires the king to get on board, right through to the Jews who are building the wall. He motivates them with the news of how God's been with him and how the king's got on board and he's shown them favor um, and setting up the whole task. And then because of Nehemiah's inspirational leadership, the Jews then are willing to get on board to take action with Nehemiah and to step into the role that was required of them. Nehemiah could see there was that need for a leader to inspire and to organize, and so he took that opportunity and stepped into that role. The Jews then could see that there was a need, there was a role um, in building the wall. They needed builders, and so they took the opportunity to step into those roles um, of builders. And Nehemiah organized lots of different opportunities for different people and different families to work on specific parts of the wall together, um, different bits of the wall, different gates. Um, Each builder had a role and a task. And then later on, we hear about another role that comes up in order to protect the Jews in their building work from enemy attack. Nehemiah stationed watchmen around the site in order to protect. So all the lower bits of the wall, places where families were working, um, there were watchmen stationed to protect what was going on to protect the project of the wall being built and ultimately protecting the Jews as they go about refocusing on God and his vision. There were always different roles that were required in order to rebuild the wall. Um, And as Nehemiah called the Jews to action, um, it required spotting where those opportunities were, where the needs were that were required, and allowing people to step into those opportunities. So he prayed, he advocated, And he saw and took opportunities that were in front of him. And it was through doing these things, these ways of working, that God used him to create a movement of people, a significant move of people, to call people to action together. And ultimately in doing that, to refocus on God. When we look to how we can lead the culture that is around us to pursue a biblical type of justice, that call to action for people, which ultimately points towards God. There's some things we can learn from these three steps, three ways that we can bring people with us as we push forward to see a significant move of God through justice. What does that look like? Um, So I guess when we hear of injustice in our world, we can pray. We can cry out to God to intercede, to weep before him. Because we know that God is a God of justice, we know what his heart is. We know what he thinks is right and what is wrong. I wonder if we can pray with the expectation that God's power is actually sufficient enough to cause change. I wonder if we will pray open-handedly enough with the expectation that God might use us as part of the solution to bring justice to about the things we are praying about. Will we spend ourselves on behalf of those who are experiencing injustice through our prayers? We can pray. When it comes to advocating, we have an incredible opportunity in this country to make a big noise about stuff that we know is not right. Every day we have the opportunity to advocate on behalf of those who are experiencing injustice, things that aren't fair in our world. 
And whether that is starting a conversation at lunch, being bold to start a conversation about something you saw on the news, whether that is sticking something up on your social media to spread the word about something that you've heard that's going on in the world, Um, whether that is changing your own habits or changing the habits of what's going on in your family, Um, habits so that we champion the people who make our stuff and grow our food rather than squashing them, or whether it's challenging the places that make our clothes, asking them who made them, were they treated fairly? Every day we have multiple opportunities to advocate on behalf of people who are experiencing injustice. And the third thing, what are the opportunities in front of us each day to act justly? We will encounter moments every day where we get to choose our next move. Happens all the time. And often there's a normal response that most people do, but sometimes there's also an alternative ethical response. Are we aware of the impact that our choices are making? And are we choosing to have an impact that champions justice around our world? Or are we settling for something that is less? Are we opting into that Old Testament style of community where we proactively act based on a value of justice and fairness for others? Are we ready to step into those roles that are available for us every day? Just as Nehemiah led the Jews, led that move of people to rebuild the walls, we can lead our peers, our families, our communities, our culture to champion um, a biblical justice, what God says is right and fair for his people. When we choose to pursue that biblical justice, we point towards Jesus. We display God's character and a taste of the kingdom of God. I wanted to share with you, I think that says, I've got the time. Um, I wanted to share with you a couple of stories, um, just of people who I've met along the way in the last couple of years, um, who have stepped out to pursue justice. Um, People who have seen significant moves of God, people who have witnessed the power of justice. Um, the first one is um, the team at I Am Cares. I Am Cares is the charity that um, some of the guys from Orangefield went out to visit recently in Mumbai. I spent, um, quite, uh, spent some time with them there um, a couple of years ago. And there was a Friday afternoon where I felt like I caught a glimpse of justice. I caught a glimpse of the kingdom. To give you some context, um, in Mumbai, um, extreme poverty is everywhere. Um, I guess whenever we think sometimes about what we think poverty looks like in cities, we imagine people living in slums. In Mumbai, there's a whole load of people who don't have the privilege of living in slums. They're called pavement dwellers there, and they just literally live on the streets. Um, sometimes they have tarpaulin. Um, people who are living in really extreme poverty... And that's the kind of people that Iron Cares are working with all the time. And I think actually Timothy, is it next week he's here? Um, Timothy, who leads the team there, is here next week. He'll be great, so you should come and hear him. Um, but basically, there was a Friday afternoon while I was there, and um, the team have finished their work for the week. Their work is hard. It's long days. It's hot. Um, it's the end of a week. 
you all know what it's like, ready to go home on a Friday afternoon. They've got their coats on, bags on, ready to go. Um, at which point there's a knock on the door. And we went outside to see who was there. There were two policemen there with a lady. Um, to give you a little bit more context, um, the police in Mumbai are often very corrupt. Um, they don't tend to act in a way that um, will help people who are vulnerable. Actually, quite often it's the opposite. Um, and they are involved in exploiting people who are vulnerable. Um, so we opened the door and there's two policemen there with this lady and the lady that they had brought was very clearly very much in need she'd been living in extreme poverty um, she was very thin her skin was very grey her hair was totally matted her clothes were ripped really dirty um, she wasn't wearing any shoes and you could see that she had really uncomfortably long fingernails and toenails she had wounds on her skin she just looked like she was really really in need and we are standing watching this woman and the police say to us that um, they had brought her to I Am Cares because they knew that they would help her because they were Christians. And right enough, the team put their bags down, they took off their coats, opened back up the wee clinic um, and spent an hour and a half with this woman, helping her to clean her up, to offer her support, um, to sort of tend to her cuts and sores. Um, by the end of the time, her hair was brushed, she'd been able to wash, she'd had her nails clipped. Um, and obviously that's not the end of the story for that lady. Obviously there's lots more needs um, to address. But the amazing thing to see in that moment was that the I Am Cares team had become known in the city as people who would help um, people who are vulnerable, who would act justly because they are Christians. That's unusual in Mumbai. They are people who would pursue justice. Why? Because they are pursuing God. And to pursue God is to pursue justice in the context of corrupt police, in the context of the really harsh realities of the social context um, in the city. The team maintained their biblical value of justice. They knew what their role was in that moment. They knew the opportunity that stood before them that they could step into. And because they are continually doing that over and over again, they are seeing a significant move of God. They're making God famous in the city because their pursuit of justice is pointing people towards God. The second, people, second person I wanted to um, introduce you to is a girl called Evie. Um, I met Evie last week when I was in Haiti. Um, I work for a charity called Tear Fund. Um, Tear Fund um, is an international development charity and their kind of mission is to follow Jesus where the need is greatest, to step out and help people who are living in extreme poverty um, all over the world. So I was in Haiti last week um, seeing some of the work that's going on there. <clears throat> and I met Evie. Evie is 22 um, and she lives in Haiti, and Haiti, I learned, had, um, has, has a very different culture when it comes to waste management, when it comes to, like, literally what people do with their rubbish. Um, the government there doesn't have the capacity to be able to collect rubbish um, like we do. We collect all our rubbish into a small bin, and then we tip it into a big bin, and then the government comes and it disappears. It's not like that in Haiti. Um, what they do instead is the rubbish gets 
discarded onto the street. And at the end of the day, the big piles of rubbish are burned. And that's how the rubbish is dealt with. But that is having a really big impact on the people who are living there, particularly people who are living in poverty, people who don't have um, an option to pay for private waste collection, people who are living in areas that are likely to build up more and more waste. It is obviously bad for their health when we burn things like plastic and rubbish. Um, and it's having an issue with water pollution. It's bad for the environment, which we know affects the climate. Evie, who I met, she goes to a church um, in Port-au-Prince, the capital of Haiti. Um, and this is a church that Tear Fund has been working with. And Evie there had heard some of the teaching about how creation care goes hand in hand with our faith. Um, and about how her faith impacts the way that then she will treat the planet. And she was really inspired by this message, understanding how practical her faith could be in terms of literally how we care for the environment. Um, And so she joined a movement of young adult leaders who are speaking out about the dangers of dealing with rubbish in that way, speaking out on behalf of her own community um, and on, on behalf of people in Haiti who are living in poverty. And the cool thing about Evie is that she has an incredible voice, like singing voice. She, like she could win the X Factor hands down a million times. She was so good. And she is using what she has. She is literally using her voice to write songs um, about faith and about creation care. Um, songs that will pass on a message um, of her, how her Christian faith is impacting her actions in the environment. She gets the chance to sing that to her friends, her peers, her church, her community. Um, She is spreading the word and advocating about how rubbish is hurting people who are living in poverty. And she's begun to see a shift in the country of people understanding the risks of dealing with rubbish like that. And are making a change. The church is starting to um, look into waste collection um, to see how we can help the environment. The church is looking into how um, we can clean up, uh, they can clean up areas that um, have been dumps and turn them into community gardens and farms. Really cool stuff. And Evie is leading the way in that shift with her peers because she is advocating on behalf of people who are affected, who are experiencing the injustice. She's reflecting God's character in her advocating through her pursuit of justice, she is seeing a change in people's actions and a significant move of God as God is changing the hearts of people in the church and the wider community. Her pursuit of justice is pointing people towards God. Class. Um, there's one more uh, couple I wanted to just uh, tell you their story because they're also just really cool. I could tell you stories like the rest of the night, but I'll just tell you one more. Um, this is about a couple called Gareth and Carol. Um, Gareth and Carol are in their 60s um, they live in Balmina and when they were in their 20s um, them and a group of friends were seeing the response in England on the mainland um, to the Ethiopian famine that was happening um, that was the moment when Tear Fund came out of the EA as a charity to help Christians respond to what was going on around the world to help Christians respond financially to different crises that were going on around the world, even after the Ethiopian famine. And Gareth and Carol were seeing what was going on, and they wanted to respond to the injustices that they were seeing around the world. And so they got together with some friends, um, and they began to pray regularly 
for people who were living in poverty. Maybe it doesn't sound like much, but that moment that they decided to get together with their friends, to regularly, persistently, determinedly pray for people who were living in poverty was the beginning of Tear Fund as a charity in Northern Ireland. And that was 45 years ago. Since then, Tear Fund in Northern Ireland has um, raised like well over a hundred million pounds to help people who are living in poverty. Why? Because it started with two people who got together with some friends to pray for people who were living in poverty, to spend themselves on behalf of the hungry. Gareth and Carol um, are still praying with their prayer group once a month and other prayer groups that have joined them. They've been praying faithfully every month for 45 years. Wow. And around different people have joined them along the way and they've seen incredible answers to prayer specifically relating to Tear Fund's work um, over the years. It's been incredible. But not only that, (laughs) as if it can get any more, God has also used them as part of the solution to their own prayers. For 30 years now, they have been organizing a sponsored walk that happens once a year in Ballymena to help to raise some money to support Tear Fund's work. Um, And over that time, they have raised, the two of them doing these sponsored walks, they've raised 436 thousand pounds over the last 35 years 30 years sorry their prayers for justice have led to an incredibly significant move of God as they've pursued justice they have pointed to God and these things prayer advocacy taking those opportunities that are right in front of you they're not mutually exclusive God uses us in different ways at different times um Probably, actually, if we let him, he's going to use us through all three of those ways most of the time, um, if we let him. To pursue justice is to pursue God. To catch a glimpse of justice is to catch a glimpse of the kingdom. How can we let the power of justice point people to Jesus in our lives? Um, I'm going to wrap up in a sec. Maybe if you guys want to come on back up and start chilling around in the background. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions to finish with um, to challenge you to see what you think, um, where you sit with the idea of a biblical justice and how that is relating into how you're pointing people towards Jesus. Um, I'm going to give you like maybe 30 seconds or a minute to think about it so feel free to close your eyes if it's helpful and um, if it's not don't worry um, but I'd love you to think about what could pursuing biblical justice look like in your life maybe what it already looks like but what could pursuing a biblical justice which is pursuing Jesus look like in your life and that's going to be different for all of us That might be prayer, that might be advocacy, that might be a particular opportunity you can think of. But a more challenging question that I'd love you to think about is what are you going to put into practice tomorrow? To pursue justice is to pursue God. To catch a glimpse of justice is to catch a glimpse of the kingdom. What are you going to put into practice tomorrow to pursue justice, to pursue God, to pursue the kingdom.
And if you thought of something, or maybe you're just in in principle, I'd love to invite you. I'm going to pray. Um, I'd love you to. I'd love to invite you to, if you're comfortable, to just put your hands out as kind of like an offering stance. In Romans 12, it talks about offering our lives as a living sacrifice, as worship to God. To pursue justice is to pursue God. How can we offer those ideas and those thoughts that we have about how we pursue justice and pursue God? Father, I pray that um, in our everyday, in those moments where we get to choose if we want to pursue justice and pursue you, Father, will you nudge us tomorrow morning to um, choose to do that? Father, these things that are in our hands, that are on our hearts, the things that you are potentially calling us to as you nudge us this evening, we offer them to you as a sacrifice. We offer them to you as our worship to you. And we offer them to you because we want to point people towards you through the way that we act justly every day. Father, will you use us as leaders that will inspire a movement of people to pursue a biblical justice, just as Nehemiah called the Jews to action? We offer you these things.